I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms and on YouTube. Give me the old like and thumbs up there as well. Uh, joining me today, Eric Kareen of The Athletic. Sir, how are you? You've been in playoff mode for a while now with all the content you've been throwing out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Uh, excited to watch the finals. Excited to see which way that goes. Uh, and, uh, you know, always sort of thinking about what it says about what the Raptors are up to or might be up to in a month. And, uh, yeah, exciting times. Well, apparently it's an OG and an OB trade um that's what the rumor is at least but uh, we'll get to that in a second but on the finals celtics warriors what are your what are your thoughts i guess your thoughts and then pick yeah so i don't have like a strong feeling either way like i Mm. think if i had to pick which team is slightly more talented which team is better i'd probably say the celtics I, i think they're probably the best team in the league but with a few of the injury situations, uh, particularly to Marcus Smart and Robert Williams, uh, yeah. seeming like their issues and that just, you know, ha- handy hampers them defensively more than anything. Uh, they'll still be very, very good defensively, but obviously Golden State is a, is a different type of offensive team. Mm. Uh, and then you've got just the experience, but also as I said, the the unique style in which Golden State plays that is very, very different to what the Celtics have have seen in, in frankly, sort of three slugfest Eastern Conference-y types. So, I mean, especially the last two, Miami yeah. and Milwaukee, very, you know, seven-game series, but, you know, slow-paced most of the time, rock fight type things. At Golden State's just going to come at you with that sort of random barrage of, of shot creation. Uh, so mm-hmm. because of all of that, I'm, I'm taking Warriors in seven, but like Ooh. picking against the team that I that I sort of think is better doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hedge- I'm hedging all over the place here, uh, which is sort of, which is sort of my nature, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll pick Warriors in seven uh, very hesitantly. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I was going with Warriors in six, and this is coming down to like half court offense for me. And I just, you mentioned Marcus Smart. He's going to be so important when it comes to that high pick and roll and screen navigation. It's like it's him, Derek White, and other than them too, it gets kind of dicey to some degree um, because just because of Steph's nature, because of how good he is, and Al Horford, as good as he is. He's a bit seasoned, so how high does he come to the level? Does he drop? Obviously, don't want to drop. And then, like, what's going to be happening? Because, like, the bigs on the Warriors, Kevin Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, like, they're just so good at slipping and creating those, like, little mismatches uh, around the paint. And I just find that half-court offense is going to be just a smidge better, even though defensively, I mean, Celtics are better, but the Warriors aren't too bad themselves. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's the most beautiful offense out there right now versus the best defense out there and as i said like the injuries maybe take away the ceiling of that boston defense a little bit but still like i that side of the ball i mean 
these are two great, great teams and sure. it will all be very interesting, but that side of the ball particularly will be fascinating to watch. And that Celtics gauntlet they went through. That's so many good teams that they've gone through at this point. And I just can't imagine how their bodies are feeling after going through those kinds of slugfests, rock fights, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. I, I, at least they get the, I guess the three off days in between, but yeah. Uh, you know, if you compare the two roads, Golden State surely uh, is more set up to be able to withstand a long series, even if the finals is more, uh, has more off days than uh, Mm -hmm. most series up to this point. Let's go down this very slippery road with OG and Anobi trade rumors, because I would imagine, I mean, I've seen it online, that people are just like, what? OG and Anobi? Are you kidding me? And I saw that headline um, that was from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. He's the one who's reporting that there are a few teams that have inquired about OG and Anobi, and they're just deciding to put out the rumor that, you know what, he's dissatisfied. We have no proof. We just kind of feel like that's going to be the case because he's very good and there's not enough shot attempts for him. So that's kind of where we're at, that his name's around the NBA a lot and teams are fishing because he's very good and he's on a great contract. So I guess, do you, do you really buy into these rumors? Do you think that there's any validity to it? Or is it just kind of teams fishing because they've mismanaged their franchises and they need bigger wings? Uh, well, do I buy that? There, like, is there some truth in that story? Sure. Like, I, I think if I'm OG Ananobi and I come into last year, uh, this, this past season, I should say, as sort of one of the three guys who've been there and is going to take a, a bigger part of, of the leadership committee. And, and by extension of that, yeah. uh, really the offense. Let, let's just say it, he'll have a bigger role in the offense. And he did. Like, I, I don't have the usage percentages in front of me, but like it was an all-time high usage percentage. But what you mm-hmm. when you look at what where he was at before the Pascal Siakam came back after nine games and where he was for the rest of the year, understandably, he had like a, you know, a, a pretty high usage rate in those first nine games and it went down. And, and you know yeah. what else made it went, go down? Uh, and it, like a series of injuries. And, you know, I, I feel bad calling him injury prone because most of the injuries have nothing to do with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you like you've, you've got a a thumb injury you've got a you know the knee surgery that started his career you've got you know his face seems to be a magnet for elbows and you know Kawhi Leonard's hands and along with <laughs> along with Ken Birch yes yeah yeah so <laughs> uh, like uh, at some point though you know he missed 30 games this year I believe the number was and yeah when you're out that long, it allows a Scotty Barnes to take a bigger part of the offense it allows Pascal Siakam uh to take a bigger part of the offense, even though his, you know, usage was down from certainly two years ago. I'm not sure about last year. Mm. Um, and Siakam was awesome. Uh, so do I think like OG Ananobi is wildly dissatisfied about his lot in Toronto? No. Do I think like he thought he might take a bigger step last year than he ended up taking and, yeah. and sort of, you know, in, in the back of his head or in the back of his agency's head, it's like, where is this going? Is there room for him to grow into the player he wants to become. I'm sure those conversations are had because it'd be irresponsible of a player agency and, you know, to, to not talk about it with the player because, you know, in this, in the, with the modern CBA with four or five year contracts being the max, like you're never that far out from having to negotiate your next, sure. your next contract. Um, 
saying that, I think the bigger part, and it was sort of hinted at in the article, is each with each playoffs, we're seeing the more guys between 6'6 six, six and 6'10 six, who can defend across positions, who can shoot a lot, who are, you know, even if they're not the world best creators, they can attack a closeout. Yeah. Those guys, I mean, that's the whole basis of what the Raptors are doing. And you you almost can't have too many of those guys. And so if you're another team around the league and you're like, ah, we don't, we only have one of those guys or we don't really have any of those guys. Yeah. And the Raptors who have Pascal Siakam, who have Scotty Barnes, if, you know, once he develops a shot, you have OG Ananobi and, and you have some of, you know, their prospects who like, who knows what Precious Achua becomes, but like you see the Raptors overflowing relative to the rest of the league with those types of players and you think about a scenario and i know we'll talk talk about this later in which they're eventually gonna have to pay all those guys or or pay Mm -hmm. them more than they're currently paying it's like oh i wonder if we can pluck maybe the one who they're least attracted or least attached to at this very moment not unlike what happened with pascal siakam last year although I wouldn't say to the same degree because Pascal Siakam stock had like clearly reached a low point. Whereas sure. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true about OG Ananobi. He just hasn't really established the highs of Pascal Siakam yet. Yeah. It's um it's going to come down to, to some degree with um just how teams are going to value OG Ananobi and what he's going to become. Because I was, I tweeted this a few weeks ago and I was watching the Mavericks and Warriors series. I was like, man, they could really use a person like OG Ananobi. Not that every team could use a person like him, but when you have like players like Luka Doncic or Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, who are just so isolation heavy, you need players like OG to be on your wing who can just attack closeouts, not just shoot, but actually, you know, create their own shot to some degree. And that's kind of where this is going to end up is how much do the Raptors value him? And also, is he okay with kind of being in a role where he's one of three instead of maybe having a role where he has a a bigger part of the offense? It's like there's a a degree of ego checking that comes with being a person who's on the Raptors because they have so much talent in, in the starting lineup, I mean, because they have so much talent and so many players that could actually have some value and, you know, get more shot attempts on a different team. Just like uh, Tyler Hero was pointing out the other day, he's like, yeah, I'd like to be a starter. I've been uh, off the bench for a few years now. I'm not saying that that's what OG is thinking because, I mean, I'm not, who am I to say that? But that does get to a point where some players are finding themselves, like, I just want more for myself. And if OG wants a bigger contract, if he wants to be, get inch himself closer to being a max player, he probably has to have a more solidified role in, in an offense. Yeah, you want, and you, like, you want your players to have ambition, sure. right? And like ultimately there is a happy middle ground between individual ambition and team goals. And, Mm. you know, the contract I always, not the contract, just the situation I always think about was, you know, Jeremy Grant a few years ago where Denver picks him up in a trade. It's like, oh, this guy's the perfect, uh, you know, piece for what Denver's doing. Like they, you have this defender who's like three point percentage is creeping up uh-huh. and he ends up leaving not for more money, but because he saw a bigger offensive role. Does, does OG Ananobi want that? Like, like, is he, is he willing to, you know, potentially, I, we haven't, I don't think we've seen his ceiling, but potentially take the competitiveness hit in order to establish that sort of bigger role uh mm. I, i'm not sure he's doing that equation because I, i'm sure most of these guys think if i'm in a bigger role my team's going to succeed because i'm that good because if you don't 
think like that, it's pretty hard to make it to the MBA. And it's pretty hard to make it to uh, being a, a very good and valuable player in the NBA. But, you know, I, I like to say that reporters don't know these guys, you know, I, like I'm sure people who covered Jeremy Grant very closely didn't necessarily know that that's what Jeremy Grant wanted that. I can't say that this is what OG Ananobi wants in a year or mm. two whenever he becomes a free agent, but he'll have to come to grips with that. Meanwhile, like he's always been a really good teammate for uh, on this team. He, he, yep. You know, he certainly excels in the role he's in. I, I think the Raptors have been cognizant of trying to get him a bigger slice of the pie as the years have gone, gone on. Like he was the lowest usage of, of starters when he started out, he was yeah. starting, but he was like strictly a three and D guy. And like, yeah, his, his role hasn't gone from, you know, fifth option to first option, but it's gone from five to 3.5 to three and, and, and <laughs> to one, at one point. To yeah. Three. And to the stuff he's doing, it's gone yeah. from, okay, you're taking threes. Okay. Now you're attacking closeouts. Okay, now you you can isolate if you want. Oh, we're going to put you in the post. We trust you to make passes out of the post. Like, yeah, they're they're giving him more leeway. It's just they're not giving the like he doesn't have the carte blanche of somebody closer to Siakam. And yeah, so sure. we'll see how much he wants that. But for now, I think it would take an awful lot to pry him from the Raptors. I I kind of agree with that too. I think. A player that would be involved in a OG and OB trade would probably be a player where a Raptor fan might be like, okay, OG, thank you so much for your service. We're so happy that we were able to have you for a few years, but now it's time to go be because we got this player, someone who's going to put them on a different echelon in the Eastern Conference and they, they can like truly join that upper tier with like on Miami and Milwaukee and so forth. That's the only scenario where I can see it happening. And that's like a trade where, I mean, that's hard to do. Those aren't easy trades to do. And also, Messiah's talked so much about patience with their core. Um, I don't know if next season is the year, and we're going to get to this in a second, but it's next year, the year where they do that. It seems a little bit premature based off of what we saw this past season, but they're very good. They exceed expectations. But are you confident that they're a championship team come next year? I'm not really sure because we didn't see enough of a sample size. They were injured the whole year. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I usually say, bet against big trades happening like trades are just so hard to yeah. to make work in the nba and we spend so much time talking about them and and like obviously they happen quite a bit in the off season but mm. you know they're they're these unwieldy things and i think you're right like i think the raptors a lot of the trades that are being thrown out there are for like a nice piece and a, and a lottery pick which makes sense if all you're doing is thinking about the future. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I would do them necessarily, but they make sense for a team that's like doing its future accounting, that's yeah. like setting its its books uh, up to make sense in the long term. That isn't really doesn't really have its foot on the pedal. And while I don't think the Raptors are going to be all in unless like the exact perfect deal comes along, I still think like they want to be they don't want to take a step back. They want to be back in the top six and, and get mm -hmm. these guys more experience and maybe be able to advance to the second round. And, you know, maybe with another year together, they're better than you think, because, you know, I, I just wrote this the other day, like 
we've had two finalists and we've had a one finalist in each of the last two years. They had the, I think the Celtics had the 14th uh, lowest or, or most yeah. likely odds to make the finals this year. And, and the year before that, the Suns had the 13th. Like we're not mm. in the like, oh, there's only four teams who could win the title now, or, or there's only, you know, two teams from each conference who can be in, in the finals now. Like uh, I think, and there's no guarantee this continues, but there seems to be, a little more parity in a league that's not known for it. So I don't think the Raptors are going to willingly take themselves out of the mix in this era in which, yeah. you know, advancement seems more possible than in, you know, LeBron and the, you know, Golden State super teams peak, <laughs> peak era. And the NBA is working really hard to make sure those don't happen anymore. <laughs> They're trying to the best of their abilities with uh, different uh, implications on the cap. Um, on OG, just for a second, there was a 13-game stretch earlier on the season um, when Pascal Siakam was out. He averaged 21 points, five rebounds, three assists, 46% from the field, and 40% from three. His contract, you mentioned earlier, he's under contract for two more seasons, and then he has a player option, which he will certainly opt out of, because why wouldn't he? Um, just to, to name a name, because I think this name keeps on coming, and this team is about to obviously make some pretty drastic moves because they're kind of in a state of limbo. The Utah Jazz... Rudy Gobert, once and for all, do you see a fit with the Toronto Raptors? Do you think Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster are looking at a chalkboard and they're just like, we got to find a way to get Rudy Gobert because he's going to help us that much? Or is it just like, no, because he just doesn't fit? I, I don't think like either is is necessarily right. Like I think if you can do a one-for-one one OG for uh, Rudy Gobert trade, yeah. the Raptors would probably do that. Um, you can't do it. Uh, the money doesn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. Rudy Gobert is um, on a giant deal. OG Ananobi is making 18 or $19 million a year. Basically, the only way it works is you're throwing in Gary Trent. Uh, are the Jazz going to do that for OG? Are they going to trade Rudy Gobert for OG and Gary Trent? Like, I don't think so. Like, I think Rudy Gobert holds more value to them. Then yeah. you're throwing in, okay, a first-round pick. Let's say it's top 10 protected. Now you're moving away from something the Raptors are doing. So like, <laughs> that, this is why I say always bet yeah. against a trade because like, that's, I, I mean, that's two starters for a center mm. who is like great defense. I mean, he's probably going to make the hall of fame. I would say, you know, one of the greatest modern, one of the greatest defenders of all time, but he has an onerous contract that sort of locks you into a specific way of playing. And I think the Raptors, when it comes down to it, want to be able to play multiple ways. Like they're going with this long and strong, you know, project six, eight, as I jokingly called it um, a bit ago. Yeah. But I don't think they need to stay there. I don't think they're like philosophically hell bent on staying there, but in terms of like making the talent, tr the talent trade-off and the future trade-off work, I, I just think, mm -hmm you know, a trade based around OG Ananobi and Rudy Gobert is unlikely to happen from both sides because of what else it would entail, basically. Yeah. And you mentioned the money and that's what kind of gets me about a Rudy Gobert trade, because while he is like a pit bull on the defensive end, he is truly a chihuahua on the offensive end. Like he just doesn't have, he doesn't have that 
force when it comes to his offensive game, unfortunately. And it makes it really hard to, you know, shell out that kind of money for a $37 million player. Like you really want the full package with him. And he simply is not, he makes like you know, $8 million more than Donovan Mitchell. I'm sure that doesn't help their, their relationship in anyways, but um, but also with the way the NBA is trending and these last four teams that are in the in, in the conference finals and now the finals, you see their best lineups. It is around like kind of what the Raptors are trying to trying to do. And if you are kind of ahead of the curve in that way and you don't really know where the NBA is going to be going in three, four years. But right now you are in the thick of it with just in terms of having the personnel to play a certain way. It seems irresponsible to just abandon it when you kind of build something and there's so much room for growth from pretty much every player within this like top six. Yeah. I think like the thing you said, that's absolutely true is we don't know if the league will stay this way, but I I think one thing I'm comfortable saying is the league is going to continue to value guys who can play in space. And that goes for both ends. It's guys who Mm -hmm. can shoot uh, far out, but it's also guys who can defend far out. And there are bigs who can do that well enough or really well and Gobert's fine like he's a fine perimeter defender he can handle a switch sure Uh, but the but that's not his specialty you really do want him dropping back and protecting the rim but more than that like you said he's a you know good screener great lob threat but he's not bringing much more to the table than that and so giving up a player pl- who, who can play in space on both yeah. ends, even if he's not as good at what he does as Gobert is. And I think that's sort of undeniable. Gobert is one of the best in the world at, yes. at what he does. Um, but even if, if Ananobi is not that good, uh, but giving up that guy plus additional assets, it's just a hard thing to make work logically for the Raptors and, and that's before you get into the money of it all. Yeah. There are teams that make sense for Rudy Gobert. I think sure. of like a, yeah, Atlanta Hawks, um, if they didn't have a Clint Capella or whatever they want to do with that, New York Knicks. I can see these teams that have a lot of guard depth, but not necessarily, you know, a center that they can just funnel players into and just he can be a brick wall. So he'll find a match. I think something big is going to be happening in Utah, but with OG and Anobi. Um, it would be very surprising to see a move happen just because if you read, like sometimes you just have to listen to Masai's words and uh, at his end of season press conference between him saying correct sarcastically a couple of times, I think he said it once to you as well. And it was funny, nothing against you, but just Masai was in a mood at that time and he decided to give you a little correct and dot, dot, dot. However, he has said many times that he's very devoted to this Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi core. He wants to probably give him a shot, just like he gave DeMar, Kyle, and Dwayne Casey a shot. And it's too early in that project to make any decisions because uh, this takes time. And yeah. I just don't think, yeah. He wants to give him the shot until the perfect opportunity comes along to, to not, you know? Like sure. if, if the perfect trade comes along right now for, for his purposes, and that's probably something that, vaults them into title content or at least you know conference final contention mm. uh what without completely sandbagging the future like i'm sure he would do that like he does, he's not that attached to giving the, <laughs> these players a, sh- a shot but yeah like the Kawhi leonard trade uh was a you know if that had been available two years before it was, Masai Ujiri would have made it then, right? Like, like it's, there wasn't anything magic about 
when Masai Ujiri made the mm. Kawhi Leonard trade, except that it was, you know, the time when it was available for the reasons that we all understand that it was available. So, sure. yes, I, I think the reason Masai Ujiri says, uh, you know, I'm committed to giving this court a chance is because he can see the big picture and it's unlikely that something is out there to his liking that will both, you know, give them more of a chance right now while not, you know, ruining the long-term outlook for this team. So that's, I think those, that's what's behind those words. And, you know, I would, I would, in that sense, I would take them at face value. Well, since OJ Nanobi is staying, let's look at his (laughs) development. (laughs) Um, I asked you to name two things that you think would really help OJ Nanobi work on this off season and that could help him be a bigger asset next season. Now I didn't actually say this to you, but it's kind of twofold. It's like, what things could he do that would help the Raptors? And then what could he do that would help his personal game? But however you decide to approach it, proceed, sir. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, is probably his handle. Um, I say this for almost everybody. Because uh, so it, it's, it's true on the yeah, Raptors. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I mean, for the Raptors, it's always who can handle and who can shoot. Like, like, like just yeah. do those two things. But OG's obviously <laughs> pretty, pretty good in terms of uh, being able to shoot uh, when his uh, finger isn't, you know, uh, torn apart uh, by or, or broken, I should say. Uh, but, you know, if he's able to handle, you know, the Raptors don't do a ton of pick and roll. Um, but if he's able to eat up some of those pick and roll possessions as mm. Or of a as a handler more often than a screener, like I, I think that makes the Raptors more dangerous. But it also, you know, is probably the biggest thing that's keeping his individual ice or usage down is like he's not really that guy who who is handling in those situations. They use Siakam or they use Van Vliet. Mm. Uh, Barnes isn't really there yet, but I mean that would be at the top of my list for Scotty Barnes too. Is like. You know, you want to be able to handle in the pick and roll. So I think like the tighter you can make your handle, um, the better it's going to, uh, or the more it's going to allow you to do really offensively. Because like he's shown, like not that his post game is polished, but he's shown he can bully guys who are smaller down there. He's shown that he can make passes from there. Um, It's really the creating in traffic and in tight spaces, that is more of a question and where the Raptors understandably trust other players a bit more. And, you know, the Raptors half-court offense is the obvious weak point, big picture uh, of this group. And if all of a sudden you have another guy who's an average to above average pick and roll handler, you know, that's, that goes a long way to making them less predictable and therefore more dangerous because I don't think right now and you know Scotty Barnes can prove me wrong but like right now this isn't a team that's heading toward 30 percent usage for any single player this is going to be a you know a by committee offense and you just don't want it to necessarily be as isolation and dependent and mismatch dependent even though the playoffs often play out like that uh, as it sometimes was during the season so i think that's one thing the other thing and i don't know how much the injuries had to do with this i thought ananobi had a compared to expectations a disappointing defensive year i think 
at his best, he still showed yeah. that he can be very, very good on that at that end. But he's he still hasn't put together that. And this go again, it goes along with the injuries. And you know, if you're not playing 70 games, it's tough to create this reputation. But he sure. hasn't put together that season where okay, he's he's knocking in threes, he's scoring 15 points a game, and oh yeah, he's one of the he's like a no doubt in the all defense conversation. And he wasn't in the all defense conversation this year. I don't think he was the most deserving Raptor to be in the all defense conversation. And that's not only because of games played. Like mm-hmm. I think he was just not as strong and not as agile on that, on that end. And that's not to st- still say like he was good. He's just not like consistently changing games good and I think yeah I think he can get there I think he's shown in spurts that he is Mm. that guy and so what does that how do you improve that like you you get healthy you do all the agility work that you can possibly do and that's got to make for a boring day at the gym um (laughs) but but, uh you know oh is nothing if not strong and 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 capable in that sense so those would be the two things and I, I think it's pretty obvious how that fits into the Raptors big term or or sort of, you know, how they want to play next season. Yeah. And I think uh, something Pascal Siakam, I think struggled a little bit with when he took on this role as more of a number one option and his usage went through the roof and so forth is pacing yourself through an NBA game can be really difficult. And sometimes you just want to conserve your energy for the fourth quarter because that's coming around the corner and with the Raptors play style, or at least this season where they're playing the starters, 41 minutes, 42, 43. It's like, maybe he's getting tired. Maybe he's trying to pace himself. There's like so many factors involved with this. And then yes, the injuries is this conditioning up to snuff because of, you know, entering the lineup and then going out. And then how do his thighs feel? Are they burning in the fourth quarter? Like I'm sure these things were coming up for him. Um, everything you talked about, I absolutely agree with a person that I compare him with, or I'd like actually OG to watch some film on. It would be Jimmy Butler. Now I'm not saying that, OG and Jimmy are the same kind of players or anything like that. Like OG is one inch taller. They're a similar weight. But when I look at Jimmy and you mentioned the handle and I look at Jimmy as a person who isn't necessarily going to cross you up, but he's very confident with the ball in his hands. And he has, he does everything with a very strong purpose. There's no wasted dribbles. He's always baiting you into something or luring you into something that he wants to do. And I found that OG sometimes, especially with his post game, he does a lot of unnecessarily dribbling. And I mean, Look at James Harden, some of those Houston Rockets series where, you know, Golden State Warriors are just like, we're just going to tire him out and and see if he can really keep up uh, in the fourth quarter. Like dribbling is tiring. It's taxing on the body and just being a little bit more confident with his his decision making and more decisive, I think, would really help him. And that's something that Jimmy, again, is so good at when it comes to his post game as well. It's uh, yeah, we can get into the post game in a second, but just your thoughts on the Jimmy Butler comparison. Yeah, it makes sense. Not in that, again, not in that they're built the exact same way, but they both obviously have that strength and OG's strength, you know, he's for his size, he's got to be one of the stronger guys in the league. So you don't really need to be using a ton of deception in order to, or or you you shouldn't necessarily need to use a ton of deception in order to get yourself Sure. Open. Um, so, you know, to, to be more decisive, to be a bit more efficient when you do get the ball and, and 
beyond that, it's just also about getting the defense moving, right? Like if you're mm. if you're spending time dribbling, the defense is stationary and set. Uh, yeah. And you don't want, you know, not every offense is going to be the 0.5 Spurs or anything like that. But you you don't always want the defense to be able to think how, okay, the drive is coming here and this is how yeah. we're going to react. And we know exactly which way we're pinballing if we're sending help. Um, so yeah, a bit, a bit more decisiveness and a bit more confidence, like not only in his handles I mentioned, but in his strength, because there aren't many guys who mm. should be able to stop him from getting at least to a comfortable shot. Uh, sure. Like you can't always get right to the rim. Like that's you know one of my least favorite you know sort of fan things. It's like why isn't he driving? Like why is it? <laughs> like, I mean, people are trying to stop him. It's not just the guy in front of him, but like yeah. it, you can get those two steps and send your your defender back on his heels and and be able to rise up for you know a fourteen footer. Or, or be able to get the help to commit sooner than it's ready. And, and, you know, all of the helpers haven't even thought about the scenario. Then you're playing, you know, a style that's going to benefit you and the whole team. And that's just a way the Raptors didn't play very often this year. And yeah. just because, I, I mean, I, I just wrote about sort of you know, this article that will come out on, on Monday, but I wrote about their biggest skill needs, like, they lack secondary playmaking and they lack shooting. Like now, you know, one affects two and two affects one. It's hard to know, you know, it's a chicken mm. and egg situation. Uh, but if you don't have a lot of that, it's hard to play side to side to side. So, uh, yeah. you know, the two things to be able to do that is, you know, you're confident when the ball swung to you, you can, you can make a shot and you're confident when the ball swung to you, you can take a few dribbles and make the next play. And, uh, OG Ananobi maybe a little too often and it, like we're we're being pretty critical about a player I really like <laughs> but, but, but this is, I, I guess we're in the media this yeah. is how it is <laughs> and it's in the context of like you know maybe OG Ananobi wants a bit of a bigger role and yeah. how can he get there well these are some of the ways and and I think the how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Point about Butler, but, you know, not even to name specific names, but, you know, leveraging that, that power is, is mm. definitely a good one. And kind of sticking on the Jimmy Butler thing, because there was this one other thing that I, I love about Jimmy Butler, and it's his post game, and it's so unheralded um, because of the ways that he's able to create space and to find like little avenues to just get his shot off. And now the jumping ability is something that's very different between the two players, but Jimmy is also a very strong human being, and he has a way of using his strength to spin off his defender or to not create the, the that contact where he's necessarily bully balling them, but he's able to lure them into ways where they're uncomfortable where he gets them on their heels and then he's able to vault up. And with OG, his spin move, he likes to use that. Um, and this, it's a great move. I mean, I got nothing against spin moves. Let's make that very clear. Pascal Siakins is great. Jimmy Butler is great. OG Anobis is great, but he gets off balance quite a bit. And it's, I wonder if he has to do yoga or something like that because <laughs> his not- flex. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't prescribe anybody yoga. I would be yeah, more hypocritical than you know most of the things <laughs> I already say, which are hypocritical because I, I can't move. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I think we've seen at times, like especially at the beginning of his career, uh, balance was an issue when he was on the move. It, it was yeah. like, oh, he, OG's like driving in transition. Is he going to fall down? Like, uh, is he? You know. Is he going to be able to get a shot up? And like slowly, he's made progress there. But mm-hmm. you know, footwork in the post is a whole different thing. And, and you know, in some ways, you think it should be easier because you're not coming with that head of speed. But there's also you know far more physicality um, and far more bumping you're taking in that area. Less and, space. Yeah. yeah, and you know, OGs. We've seen OGs. You know, calves, and he should be able to anchor himself pretty well. Uh, but it's it's a specific kind of balance, and yeah. you know, with the right with the right training and the right mindset. And I, there's again no indication that he doesn't you know have the right priorities in mm. terms of improving himself. Uh, he'll get there, or or he'll get as close as he can. So, you know, I I, I think I think he's gonna. OG is going to be fine. Um, He's going to be very good. Yeah. Uh, very like, good. I, I remember talking about this with Zach Lowe. Like, the, does he make an all-star team in his career? Like, I at the time, like, I bet no. I, I think I would mm. still kind of hedge that way. But, like, I think we're looking at, you know, a guy who can be a top between, like, the 30th and – 50th best player in the league and maybe that's underselling him right like but but i think like there's no reason he can't be a beyond a good starter on a good team there's no reason he can't be a very valuable piece he i mean shoot he's already been a very valuable piece on on a very good team to become a slightly bigger piece on a a team that's just as good as the bubble raptors were like I, i totally believe that's possible if not probable. Yeah. OG is going to be fine. Just like you said, it's very rare for a player to have his best stretch of the season at the beginning of the season, but that's kind of how it went for, for OG. Um, unfortunately, like that, of the injuries. Yeah. And like Pascal Siakam was out and Scotty yep. Barnes, like, like we went into the season, like is Scotty Barnes going to start like that? Th- those were the questions. It was sort mm-hmm. of like Pascal's breakout most improved year, like where it was him and Ananobi, like which guy's going to be the fifth starter. And 
you know, Ananobi uh, had a very unfortunate personal year in, in, additional to, in addition to injuries that season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he had a clear, like, I'm number one or 1A role with Fred Van Vliet at the start of the season. And that went away. And then he hurt his calf. And, and you know, these, these things are, you know, I hate to use this because it's such like a coach or executive you know, executive speak, like these things are fluid. Like if you're, if you don't have that, you know, multi-time all NBA, all-star guy, you're going to bend toward whatever's working for you. And I think the best version of the Raptors is probably at least next year is probably going to be pretty damn egalitarian in terms of the top four. Uh, maybe Trent, if you want to continue, count him, but in, certainly in a different type of way. Uh, and, you know, there's no, I don't think there's a huge reason why Ananobi's usage, if not like right to the level of Siakam, can't be fairly close. and it would probably get help get a better version of Fred throughout the season if his usage goes down. And now Scotty Barnes, OG, and Pascal are taking on more of a, the bulk of that, but they got to be ready for that moment. And so for OG, handle, footwork, Jimmy Butler post game, that kind of stuff, <laughs> and continue to be yourself, right? Just keep on doing you. He, uh, he had a tremendous offseason last year, and he was playing great basketball when he got hurt initially. So yeah, I think it's uh, important, like just to put a bookend on this conversation, like mm. growing normally, he, he, it's not like his, <laughs> his pro- progress has stalled out yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's going fine. Like he, he's not in a situation in which like he can, you know, he's a lottery pick on a bad team. Like he's not in that role. He's in a role in which he has been asked to go from, you know, very small offensive role on a good team and uh, aside from the Tampa tank season like that you know they have remained good and his role has gradually increased so you know the efficiency hasn't hugely dipped at any one point and he's figuring it out like it's going fine it's understandable if if he and Raptors fans would like to see it you know move a bit quicker uh and the Raptors offense certainly could use more efficiency at a higher volume from not just him, but like, yeah, it's not like he's stalled again. He hasn't stalled out as a prospect or, or player. Like he's a, already a very good NBA player. One of the best contracts in the NBA, you might say, because of how good he is and how productive he is at 18 million bucks and a couple of years, I'm sure he's going to get himself a very, very big raise, but Fred Van Vliet. And I believe it was you once again, who asked Masai Ujiri at his end of season, you know, what do you love about Fred Van Vliet and what's, why is he important to the Raptors? And is it kind of a goal? Maybe it's two different questions, but um, is it a goal to find guard depth during the off season? So essentially you don't break down Fred and he gave you one of those corrects. Um, what do you think Fred Van Vliet's future is with the Toronto Raptors? Um, I would be, so I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Uh, starting on July 1st, the Raptors can offer him a three or four year contract extension. And that depends on uh, whether he opts in or opts out of his 23-24 contract, which I think is worth about 22 million or or something like that. And and basically the the extension can start at 125% 
or 120% of his previous salary. Um, Either way, you're looking at, you know, it's either one plus four or two plus three, and you're looking at locking him up for an extra, you know, including this coming season, Mm -hmm. which he's already under contract for five years, uh, which will take him to 32 or 33. Um, I think it's a deal that the Raptors should have, and I know there there are conflicting views about this because fans just saw Van Vliet break down. Uh, I think they shouldn't hesitate to make him that offer. Uh, He's an all-star. He's a plus on both ends. And they also have the type of players around him who can theoretically lessen the offensive load to better leverage what he does well on defense. Because we saw Mm -hmm. what it looked like when he wasn't at his defensive best in the playoffs. Uh, Tyrese Maxey was going crazy. And like Tyrese Maxey is, you know, I I think of that line from Superbad, like that's the fastest kid alive. And and nobody, uh, nobody can stay (laughs) in in front of him. Um, But Van Vliet, you know, for as, as many long versatile defenders that uh that the raptors have you still sort of want those smaller guys who can get around screens a bit more easily who can you know pressure a bit more easily um and he certainly has that value as well as you know the obvious off ball i oh you don't see me coming big man i'm I'm taking the ball from you uh Mm -hmm. so i think the raptors are well set up to pay fred van vliet what would work to a hundred, what would work out to about 25% of the salary cap to start, which is not for nothing. Basically what his last deal was um, the the four year, $85 million with a player option deal. It started at about 22 or 23% of the salary cap. Mm. Salary cap goes up, players get paid more. So we don't, it's it's best not to get fixated on the raw numbers here. Um, The question more so becomes does van vliet sign that um and i don't know if you want to ask anything based on that but i'm more skeptical about whether he signs it than they are open to offering him either the full three or, or four years uh in, in terms of that extension possibility yeah freddie's a he's an interesting one because um i feel like you know with the way the season ended for him, I think a lot of people forgot what kind of player he was. I remember Monty Williams in like January and he was saying, you know, there's not too many players who are playing better than Fred Van Bleet. This is Monty Williams. Who's a great coach who has Chris Paul as his point guard. And he's saying this about Fred Van Bleet. And he was just coming off that game where he went off against Utah in that amazing third quarter, uh, 37 points, 10 and 10 triple double. Um, Yes. You know, Lately, all we've seen of Fred Van Vliet is just his injured version. And we haven't seen who he truly is in many, many months. And that's just kind of the on-court aspect where we don't know. He hasn't reached the ceiling yet, and there's still lots more to go. During his end of season, he talked a lot about feeling kind of a pressure that he has to you know, do what he did this year, but he has to do it even better next year because he felt like there was a target on his back. That's just him talking about himself. This is his 
internal motivation that he finds in himself. And this is what's got him here. So it's difficult not to bet on him to continue to exceed expectations and to continue to improve. And as you said, like, it's great to have like all the six, eight players across the board, but there are things that smaller players can do. And screen navigation is one of them. Like bigger guys just can't do it the same way that a Fred Van Bleek can. We're talking about, you know, the Warriors and Celtics series. Marcus Smart's going to be very important in that series because of his screen navigation. Derek White, once again, different heights, but very important because of their screen navigation. If you can't get around the pick and roll, which is such a huge part of NBA offenses now, your def- defense is behind the eight ball, and he is an on, on the point of attack defender. He's one of the best at it. And then that's just like the basketball side. Then there's like the leadership side. It's it's a really difficult thing to come to terms with the idea that you know some people feel like he is replaceable when he offers so much intangibles on the court, off the court, that it's very hard to replace it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've sung his praises as a as a human and as a leader. Yeah. Twenty, I, I don't know how much we need to talk about. Like, it's one of those things you can't really know how much it matters mm. unless you're there in that locker room. Uh, I can only take people at their word, and you know, you know, you talk to any raptor, you talk to the coaches, you talk to the the front office. They're like, this guy, you know, people feed off him, people. Mm people listen to him and you know more than he he's willing to be heard too like yeah. like we we heard how much pascal siakam sort of had to teach himself to you know not be, be weird <laughs> and how it didn't come natural naturally yeah. to him it's not a problem with fred van vliet this is you know how he sort of was within his own sort of peer group the time he by the time he came to toronto every step sure. he's, he's gone so like you know you don't want to get too hung up on those things because, you know, DeMar DeRozan was also, you know, a more vocal, really great leader. And ultimately, if there's some grand upgrade available, like, you, great, thanks, Fred. But, you know, we'll, we'll take the, you know, seven-time All-Star or, or whatever whatever the deal is. But, like, sure, sure. Uh, but, you know, failing that, like, these things do matter and... I don't think you can overlook them. And again, my question is, is he still betting on himself? Does he look at the 23, the, the, the off season of 2023, which as of now, and there's a whole off season before that has about like half of the teams able to offer $30 million to a player. Yeah. That number will go down because teams will do things. Teams will commit to players, but you know, first of all, this, there's no ticking time bomb on the offer. Like he can accept it on July 1st. He can accept it on, you know, June 22nd. I, I believe he can accept it on June 22nd, 2023, if mm. he wants. So the, I mean, that's not to say the Raptors are, would still be offering it necessarily, but there's little reason to think it wouldn't be an offer that stands. Um, and beyond that, if you're his agent and you're like, well, all these teams are going to have this money and maybe you're not target number one, but if you're target number eight, you're in damn good shape to make a lot yeah. of money. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, we've seen, you know, his sort of, you know, if you want to look at Kyle Lowry and I think it's a bit overdone, but like he, he only got some of his best years were after 30 and I'm, you know, I, I don't want to bet it all, but I, I would, lean toward Van Vliet continuing to find more and more ways to impact 
the game, not fewer ways. And I think fans, they tend to look at numbers quite a bit when it comes to salary cap and luxury tax. And do you enter it? Do you not? I'm not sure if everyone fully understands how the luxury tax works because they think that you just spend to a certain amount, then you enter the luxury tax. But there's a system in place where you have to you know, earn your way to the luxury tax. And you pointed this out in one of your recent articles. Do you care to explain to the people in most layman terms possible the uh, idiot's version of this is how does the luxury tax work and why can't everyone go in whenever they want? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to sound like too much of a know-it-all because I'm not. Like, I, I still need you to- You change your C- voice, though. I heard you say- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still need to go to cbafaq.com as well. Shout out to Larry Coon. Um, but there is the, like, not necessarily for the Raptors, but in past years, it's like, this team won't spend. Um, why don't they just spend it into the luxury tax? It's like, well, the really the only way, not the only way, but the main way you can spend into the luxury tax is by re-signing your own players through bird rights. Bird rights being mm-hmm. the ability to spend the, or the Larry Bird exception, if that's what you want to call it. Um, the ability to go beyond the salary cap to uh, to re-sign your own player. That's the easiest and simplest way. And that's why when there are teams building with young cores, I, I remember a while ago, it was mm-hmm. Portland. Like this is probably, you know, 10 or, or yeah. 12 years ago, but it was also Oklahoma City. If you look at the James Harden contract uh, or the James Harden trade, like part of the reason that it was so contentious is, not that the Thunder were necessarily unwilling to go into the tax to to pay Harden, but it was certainly a smaller market that had to really, really consider it. Um, mm. So eventually, if you if you're fortunate to draft or acquire a bunch of really good players and they develop into starters or all stars or somewhere in between. If you got five or six of those guys and you pay them at market value, it's really, really hard, which you can do via bird exceptions generally. Um, It is very difficult to stay under the luxury tax while also having a modicum of depth. Now, there are other ways you can do that. You can do it via trade exceptions. We don't need to go through it. But the point is Fred Van Vliet can be a free agent as soon as 2023. Uh, Pascal Siakam, 2024, uh, Precious Achua, 2024, Gary Trent, 2023, Scotty Barnes, uh, 2025, I believe, yeah. uh, whom I'm OG 2024. So if you want it, like those are, you know, there are different tiers there, but those are the six sort of central pieces to this. If you pay all of those guys starter plus money, so, you know, somewhere above the mid-level exception and up to the max, which Siakam is currently getting, you're almost guaranteed to be paying the luxury tax. So that goes back to the, oh, maybe the Raptors would move OG Ananobi for younger pieces because those are just like, they can get 85% of the production at half the cost or something like that. Like at some point you have to do that math and it's not this summer like that that's not the question this summer for the raptors because there are none of those six guys yeah. is is up for an extension but they have to think 
how long term are we going to pay Chris Boucher? How long term are we going to pay whoever we can get on the mid-level exception? Because when you have to, when if and when you want to pay Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. those next contracts, if you have added guaranteed money to the books, that's when you have to start thinking, do I need this guy? Can I move him around? Is ownership willing to pay a luxury tax that the more the long more years you're in it in a row, the more punitive it becomes? Uh, mm-hmm. So those are, and that's why I said it will sort of be a what they do on those contracts. And I'm talking about Boucher, maybe maybe Thad Young, and if they use all of the mid-level exception, those contracts will be a bellwether toward what they want to do in the future with their, you know, more core players. And then we can get the, the Messiah Bobby answer. We are evaluating. We're evaluating. A, and like <laughs> I, I joked in one of my articles, if you hear Bobby Webster saying flexibility a lot, like I'm guessing the they, other one. They, yes. they've given up, uh, they've given like a one year contract <laughs> with like a, a partial guarantee in year two or something yeah. like that. Uh, that's sort of the way I would, I would predict it because like I make fun of them saying, you know, flexibility, but that's probably the most prudent way to go forward. But the thing that goes against that is the aforementioned relative parity of this league. Like Hmm. you think Scotty Barnes is going to blow up and be an all-star if not this season, the next season. And you think Pascal Siakam can maintain that play and OGN and Obi can take a step and Fred Van Vliet is, is going to be this good. Like, why aren't you a championship contender? Why aren't you like one of the last four teams standing? And that's the type of team you want to pay the luxury tax for because like, yeah, the Raptors went into the luxury tax one year in the last 20 years and they won the title. That's nice, but that's not the way, that's not the way it usually works. Like usually you have to pay the tax a bunch of times and you get luck, not lucky, but things fall right. and, And you take advantage one of those times um and the raptors i mean we've we've revisited the Kawhi letter trade enough but the raptors made their big chance count generally you need several kicks at the can before mm. things line up correctly a team like golden state like they live in the luxury tax for many years now and when the kevin durant sign and trade happened they did the sign and trade because of what we're talking about. They wanted to maintain that max salary spot because uh, that's very valuable. And they wanted to make sure they can contend for many years. So D'Angelo Russell happened and then that didn't work. And then Andrew Wiggins happened and here we are. So yeah. And they like, like, even last year, which ended up being a a play in and out team, uh, they paid, they paid Kelly Oubre or acquired Kelly Oubre for like, I, I think he was on like a $10 million deal that ended up costing them like, you know, many times that in real money because of the progressive tax that only yeah. gets more punitive the further you go into it. So it, it's, uh, I mean, Golden State, there are a few cases like that. Like Steve Ballmer doesn't care how much money he's spending each year. You know, the hedge fund billionaires in Golden State don't care. Most teams aren't like that. I, I wouldn't expect a a team controlled mm. by like publicly traded companies like Bell and Rogers uh, to be like that. But, you know, Milwaukee is a team that's been, has gone to willing to pay into the tax many years in a row. And this is something that the Raptors have, and, and like they are thinking about it, but yeah. they're going to have to really confront if things 
go as they hope they do, and that development really continues. If things don't go as they hope they will, yeah. it's it's less of a concern. <laughs> exactly. But uh, and then we're talking, you know, how many assets could we get for these, you know, pretty good but not good enough twenty nine year old players? Yeah, right. That's that's kind of it. And with Fred, I mean. He's already shown that he can be a major piece on a championship team. And then you have Pascal and OG, you can put them all in that same tier. And so you have those players already. And now you're trying to build around that. And when it comes to the luxury tax, when do you spend into it? When do you not? I mean, I just think people kind of worry about it a little bit too much because they're going to make the, the call at the right time. Like probably right now isn't it because of the fluctuation that we saw this past season. You just don't have a really good idea of what the Raptors are going to be going forward and, and they can't they can't yeah. spend into it this year yeah. so it's, it's not yeah. a, and that's the other part too yeah. yeah exactly but going forward like like you've, you're talking about the opportunities are going to come and then how they decide to approach it with you know the middle of exception and things of that nature it's going to be more revealing than any words any flexibility or evaluating words that comes out of the word uh, out of the mouths of Masai and bobby because that's going to really show what they're feeling like with this with this core that they got here Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, it's what people do that really shows who they are. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I, there's no reason not to have faith in that group. They've been, yeah. you know, more hits than misses, certainly. Um, not perfect, but, you know, they're, they're, they're prudent. And, and like, I, I really, whether you like it or not, I think Masai Jerry is still leaning toward playing the long game here and, and slow playing this until he has seen more to know which way he should go. And until then, just like as you brought up in the Kyle and Damar years, it's let's give these guys a platform. Let's see what they can do. And they're going to tell us what to do, basically. Remember Vince Carter? Patience is a virtue. (laughs) (laughs) Final question for you, Eric, as we're talking about money and upgrades and stuff like that, free agents. Um, we don't know how active the Raptors are going to be in the free agent market because of the plethora of players that they're banking on will have great development off seasons and maybe they can help with some of their deficiencies in shooting and guard depth and so forth. But um, are there a couple of names that come to mind for you where you think, hmm, that could be interesting. He could fit pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so you're, as I mentioned, we're looking at the mid-level exception yeah. here unless there's some complicated sign and trade. Uh, you know, I sort of discussed the DeAndre Ayton bit in an article. And so let's let's rule that out because uh, that's a whole nother 15 minutes probably. Uh, <laughs> but if, if they're just using the mid-level exception uh, beyond, and let's not necessarily think, oh, okay, this guy won't come for one year or this guy needs like four years guaranteed and the Raptors mm. will or won't do that. Because then we're getting into people's head who we can't predict but like some names that jump up to me like for a big bobby portis who is a player option uh, some people really didn't like that when i suggested it and i'm like this guy can hit shots he's super physical he's he's maybe not defending out on the perimeter but he can do enough there to be competent and, and doesn't really hem you into a specific style yeah. uh, so yeah. and like He's as annoying as he is to play. He's fun to have on your team. He's nasty. Like him and and somebody joked to me, him and Pascal Siakam will have the and one crew like after they take take any shot. Um, So like he's my my favorite sort of quasi big on the market. I also like Isaiah Hartenstein as a younger guy from the Clippers. Um, If you just want to go like pure 
shot blocker. Maybe you're looking at somebody like Mitchell Robinson, who I'm less crazy about, but, you know, does provide that element of rim protection that mm-hmm. they don't have. Um, there's one other name that I'm, I mean, if you want to go to restricted, you can go Mo Bamba. I know that's a name that's been trendy. Yeah. Um, I I do like him. It's hard, you know, Orlando is such like a, has been such a a mess for the last few years. It's hard to um, know how to rate his play uh, Mm. properly, other than to say he certainly hasn't been the answer but you know he's not the lone reason uh, for that. So uh, those are sort of the bigs that I'd look at in terms of wing players at that mid-level price. Um, I believe Pat Connaughton has a um, has a player option as well that he can opt out of. He's a guy I, I've liked his game a lot. Probably doesn't have the creation that you want from that role, but like the mid-level isn't this huge huge weapon that you're going to be able to get the best free agent uh on the planet uh yeah. you know tyus jones would be uh fun but i think will probably be a bit out of their rage as, as like a true true point guard to to back up fred van vliet uh malik monk as a guy who's like first and mm. foremost a shooter but does have that you know secondary creation uh, he he sort of strikes me as like the the name that was sort of circling at the trade deadline that I loved for the Raptors was Bogdan Bogdanovich because yeah. he's sort of like that like great shooter but if the ball swung to him he can make a play for other people or for himself and I think like that's the type of guy the Raptors really need Bogdanovich has more size than than Monk um, but I, yeah. I do like Monk as a potential fit uh, I think he'll be in a lot of teams wish list for uh you know the reasons i've i've just laid out um so i I think those are those are a few names that that jump out uh they could go cheaper they could go younger uh you know in terms of like just pure veterans like otto porter gary harris like i I like those guys as you know guys i wouldn't want to commit to long term but like guys who i'd love to have around for a year or a year and like guarantee uh partially guaranteed second year sure um so those are those are sort of the names that jump out i love very similar names but there are a few that stuck out to me that i want to get your thoughts on it so bryn forbes what are your thoughts on bryn forbes Uh, i mean he's pretty one-dimensional he'll he'll exploitable defensively for sure nice Mm -hmm. uh, you know awesome shooter um if you can get him for like the biannual exception for like 4 million, that's not like a, a terrible use of that. I would say um, if you're paying more than that, I, I probably don't love it. Uh, but if it's only on a one year deal, depending on el- what else you can do, I, I, I think he's, you know, certainly a skill that the Raptors need more of his perimeter shooting and he can provide that. I just don't think he's giving you, he's, if he's filling a playoff role, you're probably in trouble. Yes. Fair enough. Now, this is a name that you might laugh at. People might laugh at it, but hear me out with this one. JaVale McGee. Uh, uh, I do not laugh at that. I, I think, like, again, you're not, you don't want to give him the full mid-level. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, if you're committed to playing smaller, whether, you know, that includes Precious or not, like five of those six guys that, you know, we're talking about are your, are your starters. McGee is, like a really, you know, great 
rim deterrent. I, I think he had one of, I was looking this up yesterday. I think there were only three or four players who faced more than 200 shots yeah. uh, or defended more than 200 shots within six feet of the rim who held opponents to a lower shooting percentage. So uh, he allows you to play a different way, maybe a, a more traditional way that's more, that, that even if you have to keep your key guys minutes up and hopefully they can be lowered a little bit. Sure. Uh, maybe you can mix in some less demanding schemes uh, that help you protect the paint, which is the Raptors priority um, through other means other than, you know, switching on everything or, or helping and, and rotating mm-hmm. like hell. Uh, and so to have an option of a rim protector who is still like also a, you know, certainly a lob threat. Um, I don't hate it. And, you know, Masai Ujiri is, uh, has, I believe, traded for him. I think he traded in Denver. He traded oh, tea leaves. Uh, for, for JaVale McGee. I don't think that yeah. was one of his, you know, top five moves or anything like that. But <laughs> it was, it, he doesn't not like him or, or at yeah. least didn't a decade ago. <laughs> All you need is one link, right? Yeah, yeah. Just like no, the LA Lakers. Like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Just like the LA Lakers, yeah, right? He did it a decade ago, so he still yeah, wants it on Fuller, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people think of him as like a Shaq and the Fool King, but he is a person who's gone through the Phoenix Suns organization, the Golden State Warriors organization. He's learned a lot in his past couple years. And the Lakers, like he, yeah. he, I think, was he on that championship team? I, I think he... Uh, you know what? I think he was, actually. Yeah, he's an like, NBA champion. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's a useful NBA, like, a, he's a useful regular season player mm-hmm. who, like, can give you some, you know, five or ten minutes in the play. Again, like, not a guy you're probably relying on a ton in a, in a playoff yeah. series, but he's definitely good for regular season depth and... and not only like in terms of numbers, but in terms of stylistic uh, diversity. Lob threat too. Sure, you could use some yeah. of that in the half court. That would be very nice. And he's vertical very- spacing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful. That's a good one. That's a trendy word. Vertical yeah. spacing. That's uh, that's what the Raptors are all about. Vertical spacing. Yeah. Love it. Um, how about this? Is my last one for you. Then I'll let you go. Thanasis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> You just two thirds of the two thirds yeah. of the way there. He's coming home. Downforce got ready. Exactly right. That is the plan. You just get him from the ground, and then the you lure them in slowly but surely. Well, if we're judging by Scotty Barnes' Instagram stories, it's, it's got all the spacing they need. There you go. Right. I just did a video, people, by the way, on um, what has changed about Scotty Barnes' jumper because it looks a little bit different. I'm not saying that he is now going to be. Oh, I don't know, Ray Allen, Clay Thompson. But I will say that there has been some mechanical changes that are alluring at, uh, you know, a bit more of a sustainable form that could help him this season. But again, empty gym shots, edited clips. You got to take it with a grain of salt, but 50, the form does yeah, it better. You're calling a 50-40-90 season. So <laughs> exactly. we've, we've heard it here first. Yes. Anything coming out recent or soon? Yeah, on th- this week coming, I'll sort of have like, how the as I alluded to it earlier, how the Raptors can improve their sort of skill deficits, uh, either through internal uh, internal improvement through free agency and through the draft, the thirty third pick, which we didn't talk much about today, thankfully, because that is sort of a, a spot where I've, I've done a little bit of work, but I'm still oh, getting coming, more and more associated. It's coming. 
It's so yeah, kind of, you yeah. could as the draft comes. I think it's June twenty third. You'll probably you can already read my sort of nine alluring names to look for. But maybe we'll we'll get more granular with that. Um, and then I mean we uh, nothing huge huge in the works. Although you know some things for down the road that I'm hoping to get off the ground. Um, but certainly draft coverage and certainly free agent coverage because you know uh, it's going to be an it's not going to be anything that wows people, whatever they do this off season, but I don't think unless there's some huge trade, which again, I'm not predicting, but I do think it might, it will be quite telling what they do as for the future direction of that franchise. And and as somebody who's trying to, you know, always stay pretty macro. um... Normally being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. While analyzing the micro, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by what's going to go down. And we won't hear a word from the Raptor franchise about why they made a move either. We'll just have to <laughs> rely on people like us to tell you why they did this because you have to know how to navigate the Raptors' verbiage with um, <laughs> the moves that they make because they aren't going to tell you too much about it. Okay, Eric, thank you so much, sir, for joining me. Have yourself a great weekend. All the best, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.